waiting for a train to go or a bus to come or a plane to go or the mail to come or the rain to go or the phone to ring or the snow to snow or waiting around for a yes or no or waiting for their hair to grow. <laughs> Everyone is just waiting. Waiting for the fish to bite or waiting for wind to fly a kite or waiting around for a Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake or a pot to boil or a better break or a string of pearls or a pair of pants or a wig with curls or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. So says the great theologian Dr. Seuss. He's quite right, don't you think? For something that few of us really enjoy or appreciate, we spend a lot of time doing it. And as we come to our scripture this morning, we find the disciples of Jesus in this familiar place of waiting. Our Father, we thank you for the gift of worship, for the gift of this church and this fellowship. Lord, for the beauty of this day, which reminds us of your kindness and goodness to us, and for a chance to gather and sit under your word, bless us, Lord, as we seek your face, as we seek your ways, as we open our hearts and minds to be taught, to be instructed, to be illumined by your truth. May you have the glory. May today be a day that really does make a difference in our lives. We pray and ask in Christ's powerful name. Amen. So in his first book, which is the Gospel of Luke, Luke records the ministry Jesus began. And at the end of the book, in the passage that Kathy just read from Luke 24, we see Jesus is then handing off um, the work of ministry to the church, commissioning the church now for the task of spreading the gospel, of spreading the news about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Uh, and, and we see the church now becomes the vessel through which this great truth of Christ's suffering and rising from the dead and the possibility of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This message now is going to come through God's people. Jesus told his disciples after he commissioned them that they should wait in Jerusalem until they received power from on high. In his second book, which is the book of Acts, the book that we are just now beginning, Luke picks up at this very point, and then he proceeds through 28 chapters to detail the fulfillment of what Jesus promised and how by the power of the Spirit the disciples would carry on the work of gospel proclamation. Acts, as we said last week, is a sequel to Luke in that it continues the story. It builds upon the theme of what came before it. The mission of Jesus is the mission of his church, is the mission of the United Baptist Church. It continues 
and it is unstoppable. If you have your Bible with you this morning, please turn with me to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you probably find one that looks like that in the sheet seat in front of you. Feel free to grab that, and if you grab that and turn to page 1080, you'll be ahead of the rest. 1080 is Acts chapter 1. If you're with us this morning and you do not have a copy of God's Word for yourself, you don't have a Bible at home, you don't own one, and you see this Bible in front of you, feel free to take it with you. It's our gift to you. We think everybody ought to have a copy of God's Word. We're happy for you to have it. We are in Acts chapter 1, page 1080. In the first book, O Theophilus, anybody remember what Theophilus means? Come on, that was just last week. There you go. I know some of you are just shy. You don't want to speak out, which is fine, too. I don't know. I don't want to encourage a lot of that anyway. But uh, lover of God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. Book one, the Gospel of Luke, is about all that Jesus began to do and teach which leaves us with the right sense that Jesus isn't finished, that there is more to come. And having been raised from the dead, Luke continues in verse 3, he presented, that is Jesus, himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Just like in his first book, Luke wants his readers to have certainty when it comes to Jesus. Jesus is alive. And to believe in him from Luke's perspective was not and is not unreasonable. The resurrection of Jesus happened. It is a historical event. Christ rising from the dead was not and is not an urban legend. And to be a Christian is not, as some believe or would argue, to be a Christian is not checking your mind at the door and imbibing myths and fairy tales that have no basis whatsoever in truth. Jesus rose from the dead. And to be a Christian is to believe in that truth. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart what? What's next? If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. After his death and burial, Jesus showed himself alive, and you might recall from other scripture reading that you have done, even his own disciples were skeptical and were slow to believe. That's where Thomas gets his nickname, right? Doubting Thomas. I don't think, unless I see, unless I see, I'm not going to believe, right? Even his own disciples were skeptical to believe. But Jesus showed himself alive. After being obviously dead, Luke tells us by many proofs, okay? Not just one proof, not just two, not through a grilled cheese sandwich that looks like him. 
And a sign from heaven. <laughs> Do you ever see that stuff? Good night. No. By many proofs. At least ten of those are recorded in Scripture. So after his resurrection, Jesus continued with his disciples, Luke tells us, appearing uh, among them over 40 days. And while staying with them, he ordered them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but they should wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Before he ascended to heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God, bearing the name above all names, Jesus left his disciples with these orders. Stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Do not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the promise of the Father. Now, the disciples had heard about this promise. Jesus had talked to them about this promise. If you want to get in on some of those conversations, you could turn in your Bible to John chapter 14. You could turn in your Bible to John chapter 16. Jesus has told them, and now he is reiterating, a helper is coming. A power of some sort is coming. You're going to have to wait for it in Jerusalem. You'll have to wait. Anybody out here like waiting? Who likes to wait? Who wants to wait? When Tom Petty wrote that the waiting is the hardest part, he was talking, if I understand the song rightly, about the waiting to see whether or not a romantic relationship was actually going to work out. But regardless of what one is waiting for, He's right in a way, that Tom Petty guy. Waiting can be difficult. Not for everyone. Some people don't have a lot of trouble with it, but most that I know do. Even the good-tempered Dr. Seuss refers to it as just waiting. Right? As if there was something more or better to be done. One of the problems with waiting, at least one of the issues some people have with it, is that it feels like when you're waiting, you're not doing anything. It feels like nothing is getting done. Waiting can actually just feel like a waste of time. But I'd like you to think about it this way, friend. Even if by waiting, you're not actively doing anything, you can be assured that God is. Even if you're not doing anything, you've got to know that God is. Because the Bible tells us, the psalmist reminds us, He who keeps Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. That God is always on point and God is always at work on behalf of His children and His world. So if we are not, get this, if we are not the moving parts at the moment, it doesn't mean parts aren't moving, okay? You can't interpret everything that's going on around you in, with the lens of your own personal experience. God is at work, always. Never takes a day off. And his timing is perfect, always. Never gets it wrong. 
never misses it by that much like we do. So when you have to wait, especially when you have to wait on God, you can know, you can be assured it's not a waste of time. You are not spinning your wheels. We, we may not understand why we have to wait. That's part of the problem, isn't it? I don't understand the reason for this delay. I don't know why this hasn't come to pass. We may not understand a lot about our circumstances. We may not grasp their meaning. But we can know that when we have to wait on God, it is necessary and it is important for us to do exactly that. It's not a waste of time. Nor is it laziness. This is another problem some people have with waiting. Another struggle that some people have with waiting. Because being idle can feel like laziness. And none of us, well, few of us, most of us, I don't know how many of us, <laughs> I don't think in general we want to be lazy. If you grow up around here, you know, we talk about this Puritan work ethic, but I kind of feel it's probably the same in Montana and South Dakota and Texas. We know that God has made us to work, and we should enjoy our work. And so when we feel like we're not working, we might feel a little bit lazy. We've been taught and we have been told that we should exalt productivity, activity, we feel like we have to be busy. We feel like it's a badge of honor when someone says, how you been? Oh, I've been super busy, super busy. <laughs> oh, well, okay. <laughs> Nobody else is. <laughs> well, it's not laziness. To wait is not just potential time wasted, even though it can feel in our minds to, to condemn it, right? There is a voice, and a lot of us have this voice in our heads. It says, don't just stand there. Do something. But British evangelist and scholar G. Campbell Morgan challenges us with these words. He says, waiting for God is not laziness. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not the abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means, first, activity under command. Second, readiness for any new command that may come. And third, the ability to do nothing until the command is given. Waiting on God is not laziness. Indeed, something happens as we wait on God. In the scripture that Bonnie read earlier from Psalm 130, the psalmist says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning, more than watchmen for the morning. And Psalm 27 has, uh, uses the same word for wait. 27.14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord, by the way. If you're just looking for a devotional psalm, Psalm 27 is a beautiful psalm for you to read. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And, and part of the message in the way that Psalm 27 ends is this idea of waiting for the Lord and being strong and, and, and letting your heart take courage. Something's happening, even if it feels like nothing is happening as we wait on the Lord. Something is happening, both in terms of what I've already mentioned, that God is orchestrating events, 
and circumstances according to his will, but there's also something as we wait that is happening in us. You see, the root word of the Hebrew word that's translated wait in both of these psalms means to bind together. So waiting is a process that binds together. And I want to suggest this, that waiting is a script God sometimes writes to bind us to himself. Waiting is a script God sometimes writes to bind us to himself. It is in waiting, especially in waiting in, in a helpless feeling as if there's nothing that I can do, so this is all I can do. But it, aren't those the times, brothers and sisters, when we go to the Lord in earnest? And that's what it is intended to do. For us to find repose, for us to find rest, for us to, to learn to lean on God. Something's happening in us when we wait. Our dependence on him is, is being strengthened. Our faith is being tested. Our relationship to God is being strengthened. If we believe what we say, we believe. So waiting is not wasting time. It's not laziness. On the contrary, waiting is wise. Warren Wearsby makes this observation. He says, the ability to calm your soul and wait before God is one of the most difficult things in the Christian life. Our old nature is restless. The world around us is frantically in a hurry. But a restless heart usually leads to a reckless life. Have you ever pushed for something to happen and it turned out bad? You, you know, you kind of made it happen. Have you ever attempted something before you were honestly prepared for it and it kind of flew off the rails on you? Or have you ever gotten out ahead of God? Gotten out ahead of God to do something you weren't quite sure was of him. I don't know, Lord, if you want me to do this, but I really want to do it. So I'll just hop out here, and if it's wrong, I'll just ask for forgiveness. Easier than asking for permission. Have you ever done that? Maybe you feared that what you wanted to do was not of God, but you wanted it anyway. So you forged ahead, and the whole thing ended in deep regret. As Pastor Ray Pritchard put it, thousands act who cannot wait. Hear that. Thousands act who cannot wait. And it's absolutely true that some people would rather do the wrong thing than do nothing. A restless heart often pushes us into reckless behavior. And so as people of faith, we want to strive for a heart that is not restless, right? A heart that is filled with the peace and the calm. Like that which is testified to by King David in Psalm 131. I'm going to read this to you from the message paraphrase. I like the way he puts it. God, I'm not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business. Or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I've cultivated a quiet heart, like a baby content in its mother's arms. 
My soul is a baby content. Wait, Israel, for God. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. Wait. Wait is the counsel of one who is content in God. Wait for God. Wait with hope. And that's what the disciples did here in Acts. And not with impatience or resentment or the kind of feelings that we sometimes feel when we have to wait. In fact, the disciples model something for us in their waiting. Both David and the disciples let us know that waiting doesn't have to be miserable. It doesn't have to be miserable. Luke chapter 24, verses 50 to 53, and he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. That's Jesus. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. Oh! And they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. So they're waiting, but they're not waiting in resentment. They're not waiting impatiently. They're, they're, not, they're not waiting angrily. And they show us four things, four things they did that we could do as we wait on God. And the first is they worshiped. They didn't let their waiting get in the way of their worship, right? And to worship here means to revere or to adore. So we must determine, regardless of our circumstances, brothers and sisters, we must determine that we're going to revere God. We're going to worship God. We're going to be dedicated to God in what we know and in what we don't. When it's obvious and when it's not. When it makes sense and when it doesn't. We're going to worship God. You must determine to do that ahead of time or else you'll be knocked off your game when the trials come, when the struggles come. You will be inclined then to forsake your worship, to walk away from it, to not assemble. Whether you're disappointed in God or disappointed in people or whatever the circumstances is, you have to determine ahead of time, I am a worshiper and I will always be a worshiper. And the disciples decided that they would worship Jesus. If you can whistle while you work, you can worship while you wait. I hope that's not the only takeaway from today's message. <laughs> the second thing we see them doing is obeying. The disciples are obedient. And obedience is the first indication of where our true love lies. Jesus said that, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Now, that doesn't mean we don't trip up. We surely do. We fall and we fail. We sin. And we must repent and confess and seek forgiveness. But in general, a true believer is not going to be content with a season of disobedience. Jesus' disciples did what they were told. They returned to Jerusalem, and they waited. A third thing we see from Luke about those disciples in this waiting period is that they were joyful. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Of course, their Savior was alive. Their Messiah had come. Forgiveness had been secured. Redemption was there. And he victoriously ascended into heaven. And those are some pretty good reasons to be happy. 
right? This thing is not over. We don't know what's going on, and we're not sure how it's going to play out. But it's not over. It didn't end the way a few days ago we thought it was going to end. They come back with joy, great joy. The word translated there means cheerfulness, calm delight. How on earth can these disciples, in the midst of all this unknown, have cheerfulness and calm delight? Well, we'll get to that in a second, but I can tell you this. They let the peace of Christ rule in their hearts. In the scripture that Matt read from Colossians, that's what we are commanded to do. You note that's an imperative. The, it's on you. You implied let the peace of Christ rule. Not just take up a little tiny room in there. Rule. Rule. So that whatever comes your way, you will say it is well. It is well. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart and you will know joy. And don't let that happen and you'll know a lot of other emotions that you wish you didn't have. They knew that Jesus, while he had physically left them, truly would not leave them alone. They knew God was at work. They knew the one who promises keeps his word. They knew they had something to look forward to. And fourthly, we note that they gave praise, right? So the disciples continued to give praise to God publicly. They continued, uh, maybe your translation says, blessing God. And in this case, they went to the temple. The temple was a place that you go to bless the Lord and praise the Lord. And the modern counterpart to that is what? Not a trick question. <laughs> I know you're going, are you trying to trick us? No. The church. Where do you go to praise God? Where do you go to bless God? Where do you go to publicly affirm your affiliation, your allegiance, your indebtedness, your gratitude? Where do you go to express that you come to worship and you come to worship in a church? Sometimes when we're waiting, we get frustrated, we get angry, God isn't... God isn't on our timetable. We don't understand what he's up to. This worship thing maybe could slide. I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, don't let it slide. Hebrews is very clear. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. If you do not worship with the body, you are harming yourself spiritually. No question about it. And they continue to worship and give praise to God and to bless God publicly in the temple. Now, the disciples, the cool thing here is, or one of the cool things, is the disciples didn't really know what they were waiting for. They had a vague notion. I mean, Jesus had tried to explain things to them, but to their credit, it had been a difficult month or so. But also, they just seemed to have this habit, as you read through the Gospels, of not grasping. And, and I know people who read in a way, I don't know how they couldn't get that. And I'll be honest with you, I read that and go, I know exactly how they couldn't get that. Because I would be in the same boat. They didn't really know what they were waiting for. But what they did know, even though Jesus had told them again, John 14, John 16, there's a helper, there's a paraclete, there's a comforter, there's a Holy Spirit. Even though they knew Joel, even though they, under, they weren't quite exactly sure how this was going to play out, but I think something might have helped them. 
might have helped them in their joy and obedience and, and worship is that they knew whatever it was that they were waiting for was going to come to them, as Jesus said, not many days from now. So it's like, okay, we have to wait, but we don't have to wait long. That's kind of good news sometimes, right? I got to wait, but I don't have to wait that long. So I think on the one hand, that contributed to, the, to their ability to be joyful and obedient and worshipful and all those things, but also something more compelling, I believe, more assuring than the fact that they wouldn't have to wait long is that they knew the character and the power of the one who told them to wait. Right? They knew the character and they knew the power of the one who had told them to wait. And you know what? So do we. So do we. When we must wait on God for something, it can absolutely be uncomfortable. We may worry or wonder if God is going to supply what it is we want, and yet we know the character and the power of our God. And Romans 8 gives us reason to take heart. It says in verses 31 and 32, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If God would give his only son for you, you think there's anything that you really need that he is going to withhold? Our God, who supplied our greatest need through the life, death, and resurrection of his own son, Jesus, will supply our needs in his time and in accordance with his will, which is perfect. That is what he's about to do with the disciples who are waiting in Jerusalem. But before we get there, the disciples have a vacancy in their ranks that must be filled. And Lord willing, that is where we pick up next week. In the meantime, friend, hopefully you are encouraged today to think and feel a little differently about whatever it might be that you're waiting on or that you're waiting for. Wait with hope. Hope now. Hope always. Our Father, we thank you for the wisdom of your word. We thank you for such a timely reminder in a frantic society in which we live. Help us to take it to heart, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's sing together. We're going to sing a couple of songs. We'll remain seated until the youngsters come in. We'll start with...